ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chicky Fitzgerald, and we are having a special interview today on what matters most of all. This is a part of our joint venture project with Now Publishing, and we are interviewing one of their special young authors, Stephanie Costolo. Did I pronounce that right, Stephanie? Uh, it's pronounced Costolo, kind of like Costco. Ah, but everybody, okay. everybody says Costolo, so I just kind of go with it. At this <laughs> well, I should have asked that before we started, but <laughs> I, I knew you'd forgive me. So, yeah. Stephanie, the whole focus of your book is about decisions that change destiny. And, you know, some of us who are listening today, or, or certainly me, uh, it's been a long time since we were 30. So, you know, looking back on the year that we turned 30, our stories would be very, very different, I'm sure, than yours. But tell me, what made the year you turned 30 so significant? So I was... It was the book is really focused on just the two or three years surrounding the year I turned 30. Um, I had two small children. I got a divorce, became a single mom of the two, and then was pregnant with the third all, all by my ex-husband. And so it was really this pivotal changing time where it seemed like I couldn't keep up with all of these huge, huge changes. It was like, having a baby, getting back together with my husband, and then, you know, trying to work that out through counseling, and then becoming single and moving to a different state. It was just like trying to figure out the finances of how do you support three children on your own. Just a lot of really big changes that were just back to back to back, where it feels like you're drowning in it. And so I journaled throughout that time, and it ended up becoming the year I turned 30 as a book. So let's let's start with the the financial situation and you know even at at my my age which is you know at least double yours you know I was very successful for many many years and was with you know major corporations had great corporate jobs went out on my own did really really well, well as a consultant and then I became an entrepreneur and lost <laughs> everything lost everything uh, invested everything we had, and then suddenly it was gone. And uh, the worst time of all to lose that money, you know, right before the economic uh, crash. So I mm -hmm. know a lot of listeners, maybe they've never even said it out loud that they have, have had struggles. But let us hear uh, kind of the, this message of hope that, that you had this incredible situation and struggled with making the right decisions. How did you get through? So that's a good question. Um, as a little bit of a backstory, I was raised in a family very, very poor. I was born in Flint, Michigan, um, in the city, but it was a dirt road. You know, it was a very poor area on welfare, all of that. And then kind of growing up, my family sort of finally made it, quote unquote, to lower middle class. And that was like a comfortable 
place to be in. And so that's important now looking back at the financial struggles during the year I turned 30 in the surrounding time, because my childhood really formed my view on money and having and have not and, and its importance and the role that it plays in our lives. And to be honest, I had probably a very unhealthy view of it. And so I was always afraid that I would not be able to afford life, you know, to take care of myself. And so I went to college and all of that stuff. I joined the Air Force and got married and we were doing pretty well, actually. The two of us were were working and doing well. And then I had our first child. And so we had decided together that I would stay home with the baby. And then we had our second child and I, and I went back to work, but then got pregnant. Oopsie on birth control, that 1% failure rate for birth control got pregnant with number three and we split up when I was pregnant. And so it threw me into this. Yeah. It, it threw me into this situation that I had always tried to avoid, you know, this fear from childhood that I would end up in poverty like my parents were for so long and now here i was and i don't know if you've looked at child care costs lately but <laughs> three but three kids that are daycare age i mean they were four three and three months old when i moved us all to florida right. they're all daycare age there it was a catch-22 there was no way even with child support that i could get a job that would pay me enough to cover daycare and pay bills. And so I would try, I tried to do real estate, I tried to do these other jobs. And I had a bachelor's degree is is the whole, the crazy part, you know, it's like, oh, I felt like I had put in the work, like I've I've taken the steps, you know, I got married before I had kids, I got a bachelor's degree, all of that, but it wasn't (laughs) enough. (laughs) It was horrible. And so it took me uh, almost four years to just be able to make my rent payment on time every month. And during that time, I ended up evicted from our house. That's mm-hmm. in the book. Um, we came home from a trip that my my dad had paid for us to go at Christmas time to visit the family because I wasn't going to be able to buy my kids presents and I wasn't going to be able to go see anybody. And so oh. he kind of sponsored that trip. And of course, I'm not, I didn't tell anybody, uh, yeah, I'm about to get evicted. You know, my, my rent's not paid. My electricity's not paid because I was so embarrassed and so ashamed that I essentially felt like I was failing as a mother. Not only could I not pay my bills, but I couldn't even get my kids a Christmas present. Right. Um, so we, we drove back home. That was from Illinois to Florida, drove back home. And as I'm walking up to our apartment door with the three kids, there's a big green, paper on the door oh. and I just knew oh, it's, it, was a, it gives me the chills even thinking about it now. It was a horrible moment, eviction notice. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So that, you know, spiraled into a whole other situation, but. um, Wow. Well, was, I know for a while, I know for a while you decided to stay in the same house as your ex-husband and co-parent yes. the kids as opposed to having the kids going back and forth. So how did that work? And, and what did you learn from that? I mean, I'm sure there are many things, but, but pick pick one or two to share with us. Yeah. So we did. We we were separated and living in the same home for probably about six months. And I, I learned a lot from that. I learned that forgiveness is a daily decision, that <laughs> yeah. it's not a feeling that just washes over you one day. In, mo- in most cases, I would say. It, when somebody has wronged you, in your opinion, 
it's hard to let that go. But when you're living in the house with them or when you have to maintain a relationship because they're the parent of your children or because they're in your family or whatever reason, I learned to, to make the daily conscious decision to be forgiving and open-minded instead of choosing to hold on to anger and resentment because that would have gotten us nowhere. Right. So I learned that. Um, and also, you know, you wrestle when you're, you're separating from a spouse or from a long relationship, you wrestle with what could have been or what could be or am I doing the right thing and all of these questions that kind of pop into your head especially when you have kids involved. And I really learned that the thing about the past is no matter how much we wish we could get back to whatever it was or how great it was, the thing about the past is it's already gone. And so you you can only look forward and do the best that you can with, with today. Right. Well, the interesting thing is what you've just shared with our audience is really the other side of the coin Uh, of love itself, right? Because love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice that you make even when you don't like the person. Uh, And, you know, I've been married for 28 years and it it was one of the things that I remember from our our premarital counseling. And we had only known each other for two months when we got married. And, you know, that was a huge risk for me to take. But, you know, I I had (laughs) met him through a singles dating service. I was older, you know, there were all kinds of reasons why I thought it was a good idea. Right. But Mm -hmm. one of the things we did, we did this counseling with his uncle who was a pastor and he was the pastor who was going to marry us. And, and he said, look, you know, love is just, you know, it's a decision, it's a choice and, and there will be days, believe it or not. And he even said this right in our wedding ceremony, there will be days, believe it or not, when you don't even like each other. And he, you know, he was right. There have been those days, but the thing Mm -hmm. that does get you through, isn't that feeling. And, and so when it does go sour and when it is bad, um, I, I love what you said, because I, I actually never thought about that, that forgiveness is, is a choice. So what can you going through the literally darkest days like when the electricity was turned off because i i like i said we we've been through bankruptcy we've lost our house we've been through all of that and and from a very different place than you did um but uh again just the courage to tell people about it is really uh amazingly empowering yeah so to get through the darkest days truly and and i think we can all look at difficult times in our lives and see that if you have a level of faith, you know, what, what work is being mm-hmm. done in your life by, by God. And so that's really what got me through those dark, dark days. I had to learn, this is how stubborn I am. <laughs> I was, let me tell you, I was raised Christian in a Christian home where you learn the Bible, you sing the songs, you have the relationship with God, but I didn't actually trust God to take care of things. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I definitely do. (laughs) Like I would say a prayer and say, you know, please help me with this or give me guidance on this. And then I would just do whatever I wanted anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm in charge of my life and I'm going to do it, you know, Stephanie's way, which is definitely one of the major lessons I learned in this time period (laughs) is that Stephanie's way is a lousy way and it's the harder way. And it's, not going to give me the results that I'm hoping for. Right. So I really, yeah, I had to learn to actually trust God. And everybody says, I trust God. But I mean, really, when your electricity is off 
and you're getting evicted from your house and you have three little kids and you don't have income, you have no other choice but to be like, okay, God, all right, um, I, I'm going to follow your lead on this one. You know, you show me what to do. And so over and over, because I'm very stubborn and I choose to learn very slowly, I guess, this lesson, but over and over <laughs> and over again, I had to get to that point of just like, no matter what I could have thought of on my own, it wouldn't have gotten me out of this pickle. I had to actually trust God right. and then let him take care of it. And he did over and over and over again. So now I'm like, if I could just remember that lesson, I'll be oh, good exactly. to go. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's actually true with all of us. And, you know, it's funny because actually I was, uh, I was really gifted with the gift of faith uh, when, when I was young uh, and my dad was a pastor, so I had no choice, but, you know, to go to church every Sunday and, you know, kind of buy in, <laughs> buy into it all. But, yeah, and I had my dark days when I, I, you know, kind of walked away from what, uh, what they had laid as the foundation with me, but I did come back to it. And, and I had, I always had the ability to see that we were going to come out of it. And I never actually saw myself where we were, but my husband was very much like you. Um, you know, he had that upbringing, but you know, at the end of the day, the only thing he trusted was me bringing home the paycheck. Cause I had always been the breadwinner. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and when my money dried up, right. From, investing all of our money in this new venture, which we thought was going to be a home run and was a miserable failure, right? Mm -hmm. Then all he wanted was for me to start making money again. And I finally had to say, look, you know, I can't be your power strip that you plug into for money, for faith, for all of these things, right? You have mm -hmm. to have that relationship. And so at some point we have to have, and you know, it's funny that we call it a come to Jesus moment because it really is, right? <laughs> it really but is. I, one of the things, Stephanie, that I, I love, and I've been interviewing people for 10 years. And as I mentioned, I normally interview business authors. So when I would walk through a bookstore or through the library and try to figure out who to interview, right? I would pull the book off the shelf and I would look at the table of contents. So I'm, I'm a bit of a table of contents connoisseur, if you will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so I am just a sucker for intriguing chapter names and, and what the story <laughs> about those chapters is. And so, so I'll just throw out a few of these and you can, you can pick the one that you want to tell us the story about. Right. So she starts okay. with the shower and then she goes <laughs> to the new normal, the couch, the moving van, the center club, the trip, mm -hmm. the payday, the college, the locks, the magazine and the vessel. So you pick, this is, this is a Stephanie choice moment. Oh, this is tough. So it's, it's interesting that you bring up the chapter titles because and I'll keep this part really brief before I go into the <laughs> meaning of one of them. But when the publisher and I just so happened to meet one day, I said, oh, you know, I thought I thought about writing a book, but it wasn't an actual plan of mine. This was a right. God plan. <laughs> it wasn't Stephanie's plan. It was a God plan. And so she said, oh, what, what would it be about? And I kind of rambled on a little bit and said, well, there's been this and this. And I journaled during this time. So, you know, um, maybe that. And she said, well, why don't you write down, just give me a chapter list of what that might look like <laughs> and send it to me. And I thought, you're crazy. I don't know how to write a book. This is not something that I was working toward. And so I sat down and I thought, a chapter list, okay. And I just started writing down moments that were coming to me, like, like a moment crystallized right. in time right? that would come to my mind when I thought about 
what do I want to share with people? What do they learn the most from? And so that's how the chapter titles became the couch, the shower, the moving van, because it is a moment that was so impactful to me that that it became that the title and it wasn't even intentional. So I just sent her that list and she said, okay, great. That's what we'll do. So that's kind of what we did. Um, <laughs> but all right. So let me do the center club. Well, so oh, I'm, I'm so glad because I live in Tampa, right? And so I saw the oh, do you? Oh, thought, good. Yeah, and I thought, oh, well, I should have her talk about the Center Club and, and how that <laughs> has been pivotal for her because I've had a bunch of pivotal moments at the Center Club too, so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is like, I'm already covering my eyes in embarrassment. It's just, ah. okay. <laughs> here we go. All right, so I, I had moved to Tampa. I had my three kids. I had been here a month and I was trying to make this real estate thing work. And my intention behind that was, all right, I can work around my kid's schedule. I can get a sitter just for when I need to leave the house and show properties or whatever it is. And I could do everything else from home. That was the plan. That was Stephanie's plan. It didn't work out because it wasn't God's plan, but it was Stephanie's <laughs> plan at the time. So, so what I had done is I went online and I was networking with people and I found like some really some people who looked like they were doing a lot of real estate transactions. And I thought, I'm going to work with those people. I'm not going to start alone. I'm going to partner up with these people who are already well-connected. Right. And so I had a meeting set at the center club where I had never been. I had just been in Florida for a month. And so I wasn't familiar with the area at all. And so I lined up, you know, this was essentially an interview that I had set up with this guy. His name is Sean. So I lined up my, I had my cousin come over to babysit and, you know, you'll, you have to read the book, but my cousin and her husband actually moved to Florida because I asked them to. So oh, wow. That's how she's in this little story. <laughs> yeah. So she was, she, was, she was all lined up to babysit, and I was all ready, putting on my professional clothes, feeling kind of like a fraud because really I was a mom that stayed home all day. But I'm going to put on my nice clothes, and we're going to make the best of this. Right. And so that's what I did. But... um because my little one, Roman, my baby, was only four months old at the time and still nursing, he wasn't super excited about drinking out of bottles. Right. So Jessica, and I don't blame her, but she said, I don't, I'm not comfortable watching him too because he won't eat and I don't, that's a lot for me, the three kids. And so I said, oh, okay. So now I'm in this pickle. Do I cancel this interview? Do I take the baby? Do I reschedule? What do I do? So I decided to just take the baby to the interview. Maybe not the best decision, but hey, <laughs> hindsight's 2020. I was about, I need I needed to earn money. And so I'm like, I don't want to postpone this. And so here we go. We're getting in the van. I'm getting on 275 and heading towards Tampa. And I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just following the GPS. And so I get to the center club and for all of the listeners. The Center Club is an upscale business professional environment on the top floor of a hotel right. in downtown Tampa. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that. So here I stroll in. The elevator opens to the eighth floor, and I've got this big, clunky stroller <laughs> with a baby. And I, like, roll it into the lobby of these marble floors. <laughs> and this, this lobby screams not a place for a baby. Like, it's, it's a hushed environment. Everybody's impeccably dressed. The receptionist looks like a model. She looks at me and she's like, hi, can I help you? And I'm feeling like, I feel as if I'm wearing 
stained sweatpants. You know, I feel like, <laughs> a mom, you know, the mom that didn't get out of her house that day. And so I'm completely like self-conscious and wanting to bolt out of there. But I, I push forward it and I think, okay, we got this. Cause Roman was still pretty happy. He was sleeping. And so I was like, all right, we're good. So anyway, so I get into the room and I have to wait for Sean. 10 minutes goes by he's in another meeting. 15 minutes goes by and Roman started to wrestle and move around in his little uh, car seat in the stroller. And so I'm trying to shush him and like keep him quiet. And people are starting to look at me because they're in business meetings and who takes a baby to the center club. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> so Roman's oh. starting to make a little bit of noise and I'm just like trying desperately to shush him as much as I can, but he starts getting really upset. And it been, like, it doesn't take long before he's screaming and screaming and screaming in his car seat <clears throat> right there in the middle of the, the room that everybody's sitting and so I'm like trying to wiggle his arms out. I just got to get out of there. I'm like panicking at this time. I wiggle his arms out finally and I bolt to the bathroom. And it's this, of course, fancy, luxurious bathroom. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's like got this plush velvet couch that I plop down on and I start nursing him because what else am I going to do? And I just, I, I just, I started to cry because it's like, I can't, who, I can't do this. Right. Who do I think I am? How am I possibly going to have a career and be a mommy to these three kids? I can't even get to an interview without a baby on my hip. You know, like I was already feeling self-conscious about even getting into real estate, much less using that to provide an income. It just felt like the walls were closing in. And then I was embarrassed on top of that because I had made such a scene in the room. And so I sat there nursing Roman, you know, having somewhat of a pity party and um, was really trying to plan my escape. I'm thinking in my head, okay, if I leave this room and quickly, you know, make a left, I can get out of this place before Sean notices and then just like never talk to him again. That was the plan for about 30 seconds. And as I stood up, fully intending to bolt, um, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and it stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, no, you didn't go through all of the things that you've gone through to lead up to this point to run out of here. Wow. And it was such, yeah, it was such a powerful moment because I really wanted to run out of there. And, and it kind of just like zoomed in on all these tough times that I had already been through that we all already go through. And it was this opportunity. I could run away from this problem. I could hide from this, or I could say, you know what, this, this is my life and I'm going to step into this and I'm going <clears> to <throat> lean into this Wow! and we're going to go for it. And so I stayed, I had the interview. I ended up working with Sean. So that's the center. Well, club. <laughs> I will, I will never be able to go to the center club again without thinking of your story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can I add one more thing real quick? Yeah, of course. It's, <laughs> so it's so funny because now with the work I do, I do a lot of speaking engagements for different organizations and I ended up at the center club. Oh. They remodeled it. Yes. They yes. remodeled it, but I was in the same exact room and I'm standing up there at the podium to a room full of veterans. I'm, I'm an air force veteran. And so I was speaking to this room full of oh incredible God. female veterans. And I told that story and I'm pointing, I'm like, I was right there and my baby was screaming. And you know, it was just such a cool full circle moment to, Aww. to have had happen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's a title for another book. Full, 
full circle <laughs> moments. So you heard it here. If now, if now SC Press publishes it, I get a piece of the action. <laughs> hey, I am, I, I am dying to ask. So how is your relationship now with your ex? You know what? It's pretty darn good. <laughs> I, he's remarried um, and they have an almost two-year-old. He's now living in Florida, so he lives maybe 10 minutes away from where I live. It took three and a half years. So I was down here for three and a half years with my kids while he mm -hmm. lived in Pennsylvania, which was really, really tough. So he's down here living um, with his wife. He takes the kids 40% um, of the time, and he has truly surprised me with how great a father he has become. I think mm -hmm. we're all young and we don't, nobody knows what they're doing as a parent at first. And he'll readily right. admit, he's like, I was not ready for all of that, you know? And so, but he's really great. And we, we do a lot of co-parenting stuff. So me, him and his wife, oh, uh, we'll do nice. birthdays together and holidays. And I mean, it's not perfect, obviously. Right. There are sometimes moments, but I mean, we do the doctor's appointments together. And it really goes back to deciding at the very beginning yeah. that, Forgiveness is a daily decision, and I'm stuck with you, dude, forever, so we might as well get along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I mean, you made the comment that, you know, it's it's about being a young parent. I can tell you, I didn't have mm -hmm. my daughter until I was 40, and it doesn't have anything to do with age. It just has to do with the thing that, you know, kids don't come with an operating manual, right? And yeah. and we learn, we learn to parent uh, on the job training and, you know, sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you close every chapter of your book with a lesson learned and, you know, you, you shared some really important lessons in the center club story, but what are the big lessons that you hope other women in a similar situation would learn from reading the book? So there's two that, that come immediately to mind. The first one is that you can forgive somebody who has not apologized. And mm, that's, that's something that when I talk to other women, they, 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 it seems like they're waiting for that apology before they allow themselves to forgive. But women, forgiving is not about the other person. It's about you. It's releasing you from that anger, from that hatred, from that, that right. feeling of unworthiness. So that was a big one for me, is that you can forgive someone whether or not they've apologized, because it's not about them. It's about you. So that's one. And then also listen to the little voice. Trust whatever it is that your higher power is. So I, I call that God. I have, you know, Christian faith. So I trust right. God. And that's my little voice, your guidepost. And so really learning how to hear that and trust it so that you don't, like me, make the same mistake 5,000 times because <laughs> I'm insisting on doing it my way instead of just listening to that very quiet, still piece inside of you that is gently nudging you in the direction that you're intended to go. Right. So that would right. be my, my other one. Well, and, and again, it's interesting that you mentioned that and because, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my early sixties and, but I have an 18 year old and a 20 year old. So, you know, I, I try to figure out how to give them life lessons that they can hold on to. And, mm -hmm. and one thing that I tell them is you should always be be guided, particularly in important decision making, by peace and clarity of vision. Yes. Right, and peace doesn't come when it's peaceful around you. Peace can come in the midst of chaos, 
right? And and that's the beauty of our faith is that that God actually mm-hmm. can make us peaceful uh, about a chaotic chaotic situation, right? And it Absolutely. was the same thing. Same thing when we were going yep. through our bankruptcy, right? Um, and the other of the clarity of vision, and and I always use the metaphor of a flashlight, right? Because you can have a little tiny flashlight that barely gives off any light at all, and and you can sh- you know put it down at your feet, and you can see one step in front of you, right? Or you can yeah. bolster your faith by having you know this big flashlight that you know, has halogen bulbs and, you know, goes Mm -hmm. out a tremendous way. And and our faith actually is that, right? Giving us the ability to look a little bit further out, but to know that at the end of the day, there's still darkness beyond that. And you, and you have to trust that somebody's going to get you through that. Right. So, you know, it's interesting, Stephanie, you have, um, you've gone on to become a magazine owner, And you, Mm -hmm. uh, I find it interesting that you have chosen uh, to be a champion for women caught up in sex trafficking. One of my business Mm -hmm. partners runs a uh, nonprofit for sex trafficking in Dallas. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I I hear about it, you know, almost daily of, of, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in fact, being involved in my business kind of gives him a respite from the, you know, some of the tragedy that, that he faces in that yet. It's a very, very mm-hmm. rewarding thing. So how did your difficult times, uh, the year you turned 30 prepare you for all this and, and why sex trafficking? So my difficult times prepared me and I'm going to touch back on the having being forced to lean on God. Um, I definitely, that's the biggest takeaway from all of the challenges that I went through and the challenges that I'm going to go through is just this inherent trust in the fact that God's got my back and that there is a plan. And that if I just stay out of my own way, (laughs) I will be aligned with that plan. And, and so I ended up in working in anti-human trafficking. I was finishing up grad school and a project for a social entrepreneurship class was essentially to find a social cause and then figure out a way to build a business around it so that you're supporting the cause and also making money. And so the, the, the topic that my group chose was human trafficking. And I, like pretty much almost everybody, um, had a lot of misconceptions about it and didn't really know what it really looked like in the United States and how at the level that it was occurring and who were buying all these victims. You know, I didn't know any of that. And so the more right. I learned, the more I thought, oh my gosh, we have to look at this. And I just felt this pull to do something. Now, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of connections. And so I just told people, I just started telling people, hey, I want to get involved. Let me know and I'll volunteer or I'll help in some way. And so I was asked to eventually become a member of, it's called the Pasco County Commission on Human Trafficking. It's a, it's, a, it's an organization in Pasco County, Florida, which is just right, outside of right. Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing work with them and just volunteering and asking, how can I help? And I started speaking and giving awareness presentations. And at one of our meetings, the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking showed up and they pitched this program called the Trafficking Free Zone Program that that they wanted Pasco County to really pilot and take on. And the whole premise of it was, yes, we need safe homes. Yes, we need awareness. But what we really need to do is stop the demand. And there's this metaphor that I like to use when I, when I talk to people about this. And it's, 
it's this metaphor that there are two guys in a fishing boat out fishing and having a great day. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys sees a baby floating by in the water and the baby's drowning. And so he jumps in the water and he brings it up on the boat and saves his life. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, what in the world? And then before too long, they see another baby floating in the water by the fishing boat. They jump in and save this baby and not too much longer, but it's like a stream of babies, just, just constant right. flow of these babies that need to be saved. And he keeps jumping in and they, they're jumping in and pulling the babies out of the water. And so eventually one of the guys jumps in the water and starts swimming away. And the guy left in the fishing boat says, what are you doing? Where are you going? And he said, I'm going to find out who's throwing the babies in the water. Right. And so, yeah. And so that's really <clears throat> the trafficking free zone program. So I was hired. I harassed them. <laughs> I followed up with them and I was hired to manage this program, which is really to come at sex trafficking from a root cause perspective and find oh, the wow. ways that we can stop the or eliminate or reduce the number of people willing to pay to have sex with traffic victims so that we don't need to build as many safe homes and we don't need to have as much intervention, hopefully <sighs> in the long run. Wow, that is powerful. So I'm going to have to introduce you to my partner, George. And um, we have a, a company where we have a, I, I've been in the travel industry my whole life. And the travel mm -hmm. industry is a, an unwitting participant in sex trafficking, right. uh, hotels, uh, airlines. And, and so George used to, well, we both used to work for one of the largest travel technology companies in North America, Sabre, which uh, was kind of founded out of American Airlines. And Sabre had adopted sex trafficking as their cause. And so George uh, got to know about it because he was in charge of branding there, mm -hmm. right? And and so it's just been a, an amazing journey. And I was I was already long gone, you know, from that company by the time he got involved. But one of our goals in our company, we have a, a uh, travel widget that can be plugged into anybody's website. And we help people raise money uh, for nonprofit work, right? By oh, using the travel tool. And so George has just added that to the Traffic 911 site. And uh, anyway, it's just so funny that we have that in common. Well, I want to get back to your mm -hmm. book. I want to, I want to <laughs> kind of wind down here a little bit because uh, I want to be respectful of your time. So, um, Stephanie, the topic of our show, uh, of this program that I've had for the last 10 years, is about changing the game, right? And I normally, as I told you uh, before we started the show, I normally interview business authors, right? And, and we're talking about leadership and growth and innovation and giving back. And, you know, we sometimes touch on more personal topics like health and wellness. But, um, you know, you have told us your, your very, very poignant, uh, very impactful story, right? And I know there's lots more behind the scenes in the book itself. But you know, you went through hell with your ex, right? And and you were gracious enough not to mention that, you know, while you had just had your baby, you know, lying across from him in the hospital, he's texting his mistress, right? Yeah. And, and you did manage to forgive him. And thanks so much for sharing that forgiveness is a choice. You know, you shared that you went on to co-parent. Um, tell us what you believe really makes you a game changer. Because it's not just those things that you went through. What is it that enabled you to move on? That enabled me to move on. Hmm. So I don't know if this 
specifically answers that portion of the question, but in terms of what what makes me a game changer is I think the willingness to be open and authentic and genuine about life's experiences, the good mm -hmm. and the bad, you know, the eviction and the promotion, you know, um, getting your heart broken, but then picking up the pieces. I truly feel that when somebody is vulnerable, especially somebody that people have misconceptions about. Okay, so let's just say you see my social media profile and I have beautiful children. And it looks like we do all these fabulous things. One might assume that things have been easy or simple or lab, whatever the words are. Right. You know, we have all these assumptions about other people's lives. And so I think it's so important that we're just real with each other because when I'm real with you about, listen, this is where I messed up. This was hard for me. This is what I learned. This is how you can affect your sphere of influence and get passionate about something that you care about. That gives other people permission to be real with themselves and to look inward and to know that it's all right. You know, whatever has gone on or whatever you've gone through, like, let it make you a better person. So I would think that if I look at the challenges that were experienced and, and where I am now in life and the direction that it's going, I can attribute that to being willing to reflect on myself and be open about it because we need more authentic, open people who are willing to just talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly and give others permission to do the same. Okay. Stephanie, thank you so, so much for being so transparent and telling your story. We have been talking to the author of The Year I Turned 30, Decisions That Changed Destiny. And this is a part of a series called What Matters Most of All. And it's published by Now SC Press, who is a partner with The Game Changer. And we have just been so privileged to hear Stephanie's story about how she changed her own game you know, based on a multitude of decisions that she made at, at a, a fairly young age, uh, depending on your perspective. <laughs> uh, but Stephanie, thank you again so much uh, for being so open about what you've gone through. And, and we just so appreciate hearing that. Where can folks buy this book? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. It's been truly a joy to talk to you today. And I appreciate the opportunity so much. So thank you for that. Um, you can buy the book at nowscpress.com or it's available on Amazon. That'll be the easiest route to take. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And again, for those who are listening, I know that this is a little bit of a departure from our normal topics, but sometimes we just need to be reminded that every decision that we make can change our destiny and have the courage to be honest and go out and change your game today. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.